for me, the path to getting to six figures of revenue a year, which a lot of people would say like that's that's a milestone that you aspire to, but a lot of people never actually get there. But for me, the path there is very clear and direct. It's so easy uh, and so straightforward. Today on the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast, we're joined by Mitch Bowler. Mitch is the founder of PencilKings.com, a membership site that helps artists take their art and careers to the next level. Pencil Kings provides over 100 courses and trainings from world-class artists on a wide variety of topics ranging from composition and shading to portraiture and animation. Mitch started Pencil Kings back in 2010 based on his own experience as an artist trying to master his craft and earn a decent living. Since then, he's grown Pencil Kings into a thriving community with over 8,000 members. But it wasn't easy getting to that point. Mitch shares how he had to go through massive personal growth and transformation to get his business to the next level. In this episode, he shares with us some great tips and strategies that really helped him break through obstacles, which ultimately led to 20xing his business profitability and improving his work-life balance. I'm your host, Eric Turnison. Hey, Mitch. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. Awesome to be here. Great. Well, to get started, let's talk a little bit about uh, PencilKings.com and what you've been doing there. Yeah, so Pencil Kings came out of me wanting to learn how to make money online or, or make money in my sleep, I think is where the journey started. And so I started with SEO, um, built up a, a very popular website. I think we were getting at, at the time something like 200,000 unique visitors a month. And then the Google algorithms hit and kind of, you know, heavily rained on the parade there. I think about 70% of the income and, and traffic dried up in one day and was never really able to recover from that. Just the lack of information, general confusion at the time. Not that I was necessarily doing anything bad to cause that. I just got caught up in an algorithm change. And so from that, I realized that, okay, building a business that relies, you know, basically has one leg uh, if you can imagine a table with one leg, it's not going to be very sturdy. And that's essentially what I had. And so what I wanted to do was create a business that was more robust, that still helped the same audience of helping artists learn how to progress forward. And so out of that came Pencil Kings, where, you know, one of the big things was creating a recurring revenue model that was very key and allowed us to survive while we were still figuring things out. And the other thing was focusing on building uh, an email list and a relationship with those people. So those two key elements were what we did to uh, get started with Pencil Kings and what we basically the business is a membership site where I've hired uh, and, and the team has hired artists from all over the world, real experts to show us how they are able to create such amazing artwork and then put it into our content library so that members inside can access it. And then over time, we built into uh, forums, a chat room, live events happening a couple times a week, and other little workshops so that there's really a lot happening inside the Pencil Kings community all the time. Got it. Now, taking a step back, um, did you get into Pencil Kings because of passion, personal passion you had for art? Or was there some other reason that you decided to settle on on this type of site with these types of training? I yeah, I've always been passionate about art. Uh, when I was about seven years old, uh, just to take uh, anybody who's listening here back, when I was seven, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the original console, had been out I think for two years. So we didn't even have Super Nintendo yet, and I heard this rumor that. 
there was going to be a game coming out that would allow me to create my own video games. And so I just knew then that I wanted to make video games and, you know, playing them was a lot of fun. So I thought, well, why not turn that into a career? There was very little information about that field at the time, but I went on to work in Hollywood and visual effects on popular movies like X-Men and um, Superman Returns and a bunch of other ones. Um, and then eventually transitioned finally into video games and built a few art outsourcing studios over in China, where I, again, worked on a, a number of notable titles like Call of Duty. And um, I've worked on a Command and Conquer series, and b- a bunch of other ones. And so out of that, as I was kind of moving forward, I, I'd also always been interested in the internet. Ever since I was a kid in high school, um, that's where I actually learned about art was in chat rooms in IR- IRC, Internet Relay Chat, which I feel like is sort of like Slack 1.0 and Slack would be the 2.0 version of all that stuff. So we're going quite a ways back. But yeah, it's always been a, a part of what I want to do. And I feel like working creatively is one of the biggest challenges that someone could undertake because it's not it's not easy and straightforward and the world needs beautiful things but it's not always apparent and it's really hard to put a value on on beauty and design things like that yeah i i was reflecting on that recently about the the dichotomy between passion and practicality and i find that uh, one of the things with creative people is that they sometimes have a resistance to the practical aspects. Like they may have a certain relationship with money and asking for money with their work. Um, Is that something that you find as well with the people you're working with? Definitely. It's, it's always a struggle and I, I'm no different. I classically undercharge for uh, what I offer to people and um, you know, you think you want to provide value, but you've, also forget that you have to feed yourself. And if you can't support yourself, then you can't provide value. And so there's kind of a, a, a cycle that has to happen or a loop that has to happen there where you're able to provide for yourself. And it's really easy to forget that when you're a creative person, because you're so far leaning on the one end of the spectrum. And I like to describe this as a spectrum where as creatives, we're on one end and I feel like accountants and bookkeeping is on the other. And um, that's something that for me personally, I had to really confront in the last 12 months or so just to say like, I need to be far better at numbers than I am at creating and building things. And I I think creativity is not just something that's relegated to artists. I, I think the creative process and I think possibly why creative people have a challenge truly valuing their work is because it's a constant evolution. So as soon as you've done one thing, you already know how it could be better. And so you're like, well, this stinks what I just created because I know next time I'm going to improve in this way. But there can be a forgetting that, no, like actually what you just created is amazing and of great value. And at the same time, you are going to improve the next time. Definitely. And somebody explained it to me once that, uh, and, and I think it's easy to forget as a creative that there's a time for sowing or or planting, and then there's a time for harvesting. And as creative people, it's almost like we're always planting seeds and creating new projects because that's just what we do. But you actually have to take a step back and be like, okay, well, if I'm going to support myself and continue on this journey, I need to harvest. I need to take, I need to put effort and focus into 
reaping the rewards of the amazing thing that I created and, and not just say that, you know, the next thing will be better because th that cycle never ends. You can just create endlessly. Right. Because if you're constantly sowing seeds in a field, you're going to end up with like this huge field full of stuff, but you're going to be starving in the corner because you're not eating anything. Exactly. <laughs> so how do you, um, is that something specifically on Pencil Kings that you get into with people and you help them with? It's something that I want to get into more. I, I, you know, before I didn't think that there was a place for talking about finance and because I'm definitely not an expert, um, but I, I think that there are very simple um, truths when it comes to personal finance that anyone can get behind. Like people listening to this podcast can get behind just as much as an artist who's uh, 17 years old and just about to graduate next year. That it will serve us all for the entirety of our lives if we're a little bit more aware of, of simple things. Again, we don't have to be finance experts. You know, don't have to be a stock market whiz or anything like that. But there's really simple things that you can do to to move yourself forward and just make life a lot less difficult. You know, like there's no real reason that you need to keep smashing down brick walls with your forehead um, just because that is an option. Right. And what are some of those things that you've come to learn yourself in the area of um, personal finance, personal economy that have really helped you out? The the big one I actually learned when I was about 19 and, and just starting to work as an artist um, in visual effects, which I had this realization that I needed to keep myself poor, which sounds really weird, but... I had, you know, I was 19 years old, so it was very fun to go and drink. That was, a, you know, just getting out of college or, or still in college, I guess, and um, partying and, and having a good time. But I realized that if I went to the ATM machine and I saw that I had a balance, and at that time, $400 was the magic number. If I was over $400, then I felt like I was rich. Uh, you, you know, not that I was buying cars or anything, but just that I could spend freely. If I was under $400, then I was poor. And so when I was poor, I made a lot smarter decisions. And there was a point where I actually basically went broke. And that was the ultimate because when, when you realize you have almost a zero bank account balance, your priorities and what you spend your time on and what you spend your money on become insanely clear. You're not worried about, hey, which restaurant are we going to go to tonight? That's no longer an option. So this idea of figuring out where your finan financial temperature is, where you either feel like you can spend freely or you need to tighten the belt, so to speak, that's a really important number to know. And, and so here's what I figured out is that I would just, when I got paid, I would just take the money out of my checking account that I could see on the ATM machine balance and put that into a separate account. So that became my savings. So I was always in a state of, you know, um, fake poverty where I, I had a little bit that I could spend, but I didn't have a lot. And so I really had to be choosy about what I was going to spend my money on. And unfortunately, like th this is such a profound lesson. And I, I think if anyone's feeling pinched financially, you could start to look at your finances this way and just be like, well, wh where's that number? And can I artificially keep myself under that number? So I'm always saving more money. And the unfortunate part is that when it came to running a business, I totally forgot this lesson and only rediscovered it, uh, let's say about nine months ago. And it's just made a world of difference in, in the financials for the business. Not that we're necessarily taking in more money, 
but we're just using the money that we have available in, in much smarter ways. Yeah. And I love this approach, um, mainly because when I'm listening to it, I hear that there's multiple things going on. One, you're identifying your personal strengths and weaknesses. You recognize as a weakness, if I feel like there's an abundance, I may not think as much or intelligently about how I use those resources. It's kind of like the same thing. Like if you know you have a proclivity to eat a whole bag of potato chips, the time to keep you from doing that is not buying them at the store to keep them out of your house, right? So uh, I think that that's really important, like understanding your own personal strengths and weaknesses, and then coming up with strategies to support you so that you're not testing yourself so much. So you're not, it's not coming down to willpower when you're at that ATM machine, if you see 500 bucks, then it comes down to willpower. You have to say, oh, well, this isn't the right thing to do, but then your mind has a counter argument and stuff like that. So I really appreciate that approach. Now, when it came to applying this in your business, um, cause I think, you know, I found for myself, it is a personal evolution thing. When you can do things for yourself personally, you need to, you can then apply those to larger things with larger scope, like a business. How did you end up, uh, detecting you were in that situation, identifying the weakness in the company, and then how did you end up addressing that? It really came from being plateaued, I think, for a long time and seeing a lot of the entrepreneur friends that I have around me continuing to grow. And uh, I, I spoke with a, a good friend and I was like, well, what do I do here in this situation? And I think he had just kind of got tired of listening to me being stuck. And, and he just said, well, the way that I see it, and you really have to love those friends who can tell you honest, frank advice. So he said, the way that he sees it, I could sell the business, which I didn't want to do, but you know, he's like, you either got to sell it or you have to go all in there. And because what you're doing right now is a middle ground that you're trying to do too many things and you really need to focus. And so he, he gave me that advice and I really took it to heart and thought about it for a long time. And I think eight months had passed and I was trying to focus and trying uh, to go all in because I didn't want to sell the business, but it was still relatively plateaued. And so then I was thinking, well, if I've gone all in and it's still not working, maybe my mental models are wrong. Maybe the way that I think is wrong. Maybe I'm doing everything wrong. And I guess wrong maybe might not be the the, the proper word. It just be, could be that for what I want to do, it wasn't serving that purpose. So I had to go back and challenge every decision and, and just treat everything that I thought is like, I need a different way to think that I need to uh, dramatically change my thought process about everything. And so what I did was I came up with a list of things and um, the biz, I didn't look at the business as the problem. I looked at myself as the problem. And so I listed out all of these things that I wanted to change in myself. And it was actually quite a short list. It was like five or six main things. And one of them is like a health thing. Um, there's a couple other things, but the one that applied to finance was, uh, I think I wrote down week with numbers. That's where I was. So I had one column for my current state of what I, where I was. And then I wrote another column for what I wanted to evolve to, or what I wanted to change to. And I wrote, eats numbers for breakfast. 
And that kicked off the search for a bookkeeper or an accountant that I could work with because I realized that I you know, I, I couldn't do this on my own that, um, because I'm so far again on the spectrum of creativity and building that I needed, like, I didn't realize at a time I just, I just thought, well, I need a bookkeeper, but what I needed was like a bookkeeper coach. And so I went to Upwork, put up uh, an ad that said, looking for fun, upbeat bookkeeper, because again, I do not like bookkeeping. Um, it's essential, but I didn't like it. And I thought, well, if I'm not going to do it, I might as well be doing it with someone who's fun to work with. And the second interview that I had uh, with this woman named Sibylla, who if you have the, the, the privilege of working with her, she's amazing. I just knew that she was exactly who I was looking for. No BS. Um, she was a little bit older than I am. She's seen a lot of different businesses. And the reason why I mentioned the age thing, I just felt like for the way that I'm wired, that I, I respect age and the experience. And so I, when the words are coming from her, it's it really, it's easy for me to take action on them versus let's say if someone was a new grad, I'm less likely to, there's just something about being battle tested that I, that I respect. Okay. So again, like I love this idea. You you took the same approach that you did when you were younger. You identified your weaknesses, right? You you knew that okay, I need to be all in. But what does all in actually mean? And you try. You said, "quote unquote," I tried it, right? But you were trying it according to probably your old model of thinking, and you're like, "Okay, I'm the one that needs to change here. I need to look at this. Where let me write down the things that I actually need to improve on." And you took that list and you actually executed against it. And I think one of the most important things that we can do as people running businesses is if we recognize an area where we're weak, like you did, okay, numbers, this isn't my favorite thing. You find somebody who has that strength. So you found this person up work, you started working with them. Now, from there, how did things go? Well, I, I just want to go back for one second to this idea of challenging assumptions or challenging thoughts that you have that may not be serving you. And so one of the thoughts that wasn't serving me was that my business would grow, which seems weird, you know, to, to all of a sudden think, well, instead of my business will grow because everything that you read as an entrepreneur, is just rah, rah, like let's grow these businesses. Let's 10 X this, or let's 30% boost that. And, but what if it won't, you know, like that, that's kind of a scary thought. And, and so when I was challenging, I was like, well, what if it, what if it never grows? What is, what if this is as good as it gets? Now, I don't know if I completely believe that, but that was a new, new way of thinking that I had to investigate. So instead of working from the assumption that my business will grow and there will be future profits to cover today's expenses, what if it doesn't? And so that's where we started to, just like I was talking about a few minutes ago, um, with your kind of your financial temperature and another way that you could look at it, um, that pertains to the fitness industry is one of the easiest recommendations that you can implement if you want to lose weight is get smaller plates. So instead of having these huge dinner plates that you put all this food on, if you had a 30% smaller plate, you're just going to trick yourself into taking less food and over time you will lose weight. And so I started to do that with the business by just saying, okay, well, 
if we're not going to grow, then we should have profit. And because what I had been doing up until that point was believing always that, you know, we're, you're just one funnel away, or you're just one trick away from getting into the fast lane. But what if you're not? Can you still not have a good life today? And so I just started challenging everything in the business and saying, like, is this absolutely needed? And so that's where the the cost cutting started to come in and the optimization started to come in. And instead of uh, building all the time, I, t- I took off the builder hat and put on the optimizer hat. And I didn't even realize that these are two different hats that we wear as business operators uh, in the past. This is a concept that came up a few years ago and uh, I had hired a consultant and they were looking at my business like, well, you need an optimizer. You've built an amazing thing. You're an amazing builder, Mitch, but you need somebody to come in and optimize this. Um, And now the task was on me to optimize things and, and the team. And so we looked at a lot of our processes and just started cleaning up messes because when you're building all the time, you just have like a messy workshop and a messy everything and all these random pages and all this stuff of like good hopes and intentions, but they never really went anywhere. And you didn't clean up the mess when you were done because you're too, too busy building the new thing. So we started cutting costs. We started um, like streamlining our processes. We started, or I started really looking at the numbers and just saying like, do we need this? Like, can we um, optimize uh, a lot of the, the costs associated with the business? And in the process, we were able to increase the profit of the business by about 20 times. Now that, that sounds like a ton, but remember, we were our, I still had where I started from was with this belief that um, we were going to grow. So my expenses were very close to the incoming revenue, and there wasn't much profit. But at the end of the day, it's how much money you keep, not how money how much money flows through your hands. And so now, like what I had done, you know, when I was 19 years old, now the business is operating with much stricter financial constraints. So there's a lot of profit left over at the end of the day. And yes, that means there's more taxes to pay, but there's also now money to reinvest back into the business, perhaps more strategically than ever before, because I I can depend on it. There's, there's money to take more risks. Whereas before it was almost like we were always treading water. And so if I wanted to take a risk, what that meant was that I just had to sacrifice sleep and time with my, my family and friends in order to push these initiatives for these initiatives forward. Whereas now there's actually a resource cash, which I can hire someone to create some of the new experiments and tests that could potentially move the business forward. Right. And always kind of depending on yourself is definitely not a sustainable way for, uh, counterbalancing inefficiencies in a business. Um, I'd like to go more into the optimization uh, aspect that you were talking about. You know, for for people listening, um, people who uh, have businesses uh, maybe of different sizes, I'd like to see if we can get gain um, something from your experience and help us all take a step back, look at our business and uh, go through the process of optimization so we can increase our profit margins. So can you talk a little bit in more detail about how you approach that in your business? Some of the things that you learned when you went through that process? Yeah, I think it's it's really, well, first of all, I will recommend a book called Profit First, which is the book that I used as a blueprint for 
looking at my finances. And what I liked about this book versus other ones when I had tried to learn this before was that I feel like the author is speaking the entrepreneurial language, language that we understand as business owners and people who are wearing many different hats. It's very down to earth. And uh, so that was that was the starting point. But again, it was it, it came back because all of our businesses are unique. So when you look at your um, balance sheet or your, your your profit and loss statement, and if you don't have this yet, I feel like that's one of the first steps that it can be a little bit difficult to get everything up and organized. But in doing this, you gain so much insight into your business and it's something that I put off for years and years. And I would just say, if you're listening to this and you don't have something yet, set yourself a goal that you know within the next three months, you will you'll have something that you can look at and figure out you can put your your expenses into different buckets and when i say buckets i mean like software expenses are one contractors are another one uh if you ship things you know postage is another one if you're buying equipment that could be another one if you travel etc um right and this is something that ultimately for you the bookkeeper really helped you in this area so that when they finished their work and gave you deliverable, you were seeing everything broken down. So that what I'm hearing you saying is step number one is getting that bookkeeper, getting that person or getting a, a, a pattern where you're looking at your numbers and organizing them. Step number two, once you've done that, now you can start identifying opportunities for optimization. Is that kind of what you're going into? Yeah. Yeah. So there, and and when you do that, you can, again, start challenging assumptions that what if everything you're like, if you're in the same situation that I was where there was no profit, it's like, what if everything you've been thinking is wrong? And so one of the, the, the things that was challenging was looking at social media and saying like, does social media actually benefit our business? And just saying, okay, well, we're going to stop doing social media and see what happens. Um, podcasting was another one that that I had been doing podcasting for a long time. And it was another one that I looked at that I just said, you know what, I'm going to take a break from this. Not that I'm going to, that I can't come back to it, but I'm going to challenge my assumption that I need a podcast to drive sales or that I need social media to drive sales and then see what happens. So it was an experiment and it was scary because I feel like as an entrepreneur and, and, and as a go-getter and somebody who like likes to put in the work, my ego is also tied up in that idea that I don't fail at things. Uh, like I, I don't give up on things. And for me to stop doing some of these things felt like I was giving up. But at the end of the day, it it all helped boost the profitability of the business, allowed me to get my time back so that I could focus on, um, on another business that I had started um around the same time that I started this real mental shift. Right. At the end of the day, you were, like you were alluded to earlier, you were switching from the builder hat to the optimization hat. You were basically questioning, okay, I've gone through this long process of building. I've got this social media strategy. I've got this podcast going. But then you take a step back, you get some perspective. You're like, okay, are these things really giving back to me? Because it's about, and you're talking about two economies, you're talking about money and profitability of the business, but as entrepreneurs, especially in small companies, our time is another huge economy to keep track of. And if you're spending time on tasks and activities that aren't ultimately uh, going towards furthering your goal, getting you closer to it, then you shouldn't be doing them, 
right? So I think that was also what I'm hearing is part of the optimization process. So look at how you're spending your time. And if how you're spending your time in doing activities aren't giving back, then cut them. Yep, definitely. And I think when you look around at other entrepreneurs, you can see that we're not all working the same way with the same amount of time that other people have different circumstances and they're making it. So why aren't I? And and that's the clues that you can prove to yourself that what you're thinking may not be the true representation of, of reality. Really what we're talking about here is you, you took some time to look at your strengths and weaknesses. You made adjustments to how you're running your business. You very quickly, like you said, started seeing uh, some value come out of that in terms of profit. You have, tw- you know, you said 20 times uh, the profit was coming through. Now, where do you, where did you go from there? Okay. You've got, you've made some adjustments. You've gotten used to this idea of being a builder, but also being an optimizer. How are you now setting goals for your company and how are you approaching those goals differently than you did before? That's a great question. And I think that once we started to see things improving and we look at our numbers, like we really go in depth quarterly and we could start to see things turning around and going in the right direction, then we went even further and we said, what if as a business, we do almost nothing? Obviously, we're still supporting our customers and um, fulfilling our obligations to our customer base. But what if as far as any new builder activities, we just stopped and we just caught our breath and we did that for a quarter, which after six or seven years of being in business, that was a really scary thought for myself as well for the team. But it actually worked out being amazing and it was uncomfortable it was extremely uncomfortable for the first month and a half but then people got used to us having you know normally we would have an hour and a half meeting every monday those meetings went down to 20 minutes um that it just so happened that this summer which is the, the slow time for our niche the we had two of our team members they had to change locations they were moving and so it worked out amazing for them that they could take two weeks off um, paid without having hardly any work obligations because we, again, we had set up so many systems and spent so much time cleaning up our messes and optimizing processes that it became very easy for them to step back. And it's not unless we're actively building something new that we need to really get busy. And so this was a, a paradigm shift for me to realize, wow, businesses can work without having to kill yourself for 60 hours a week. And Uh, Some people already know this. They would never work as much as I was. But I feel like for a lot of entrepreneurs, this is a lesson. And it's it's maybe not something that you're able to do in year one or two of your business. But it's something that you can look forward to and and switch gears to just say, like, we built something amazing. Let's just let this thing run. Yeah, that's a big lesson that I learned, too. And And in the same way, it was hard for me to transition from being that constant doer. Because the first thing was that I had some mindset things where I was like, oh, you're being lazy. You're not doing anything. You need to get back to work. You know, So kind of that slowing down, taking a step back, switching to uh, having a larger perspective was a, a big transition for me too. So basically where you ended up 
after going through these processes, you ended up with some more space, um, perspective and time to breathe. Now the question is when you end up in a space like that, you get a little bit more clarity. And so what did you end up doing with that clarity and where did you decide to take things? Uh, yeah, another great question. So from uh, running Pencil Kings for so long and dealing with thousands of, of customers over the years, what I started to see was that in, in my market, there was a gap and there was something needed where I had tried to create programs for people that took artists from wherever they're at to uh, building a career, which is what I had done and what I wanted to teach people without realizing that there was a, a deeper underlying problem that a lot of artists don't have sellable skills, meaning that their abilities with the pencil or Photoshop or whatever it is, it's not great enough that people are willing to trade that for money. And you'll, you'll find outliers or people who, who defy what I'm, what I'm saying. But I mean, as a general statement for, for people all over the place. So I identified that there was a gap. And I think that um, there's... Obviously, if you look at the art space or, or even if we bring this back to entrepreneurial space, there's a lot of people who can teach beginners how to start, but that training quickly unravels once you get past that beginner module. So you like you have some quick wins, but then you get into the real the journey and you're kind of on your own to figure out the journey. And, and so on the other end of the spectrum, there's advanced training where you can pay very high price consultants or uh, in, in my space, very established artists. You can pay them hundreds or even thousands of dollars to, to train you. But that training is only accessible if you already have a, a skill base. And so there's this gap between beginner and intermediate to advanced. And in my space, what was needed was a, a course or a, a a way to break down art, which is extremely difficult because you can't hide. If someone shows you their work and it's not good, you can see it. Anyone can see it. You don't have to be trained to say that's not good. Um, and so the, there's no, you know, if, if you look at two accountants, I always, I always pick on accountants, but if you look at two accountants side by side and they say, I do good work, you can't tell which one is, is better. But with two artists, they hold up their work. Uh, you can clearly see if one is better than the other. So what I was looking for is a, a curriculum or a way that could take somebody from basically nothing all the way to having profound kind of award-winning uh, skill level. And as far as I know, it, it couldn't be done. I would ask people about it and they said, no, it's really up to the student. Um, but I didn't want to believe that. And eventually I did find someone again via my podcast. There was a lot of value in the podcast and speaking with a lot of different artists. I found someone that had that curriculum and could take he was taking like 13 year old kids to creating photorealistic oil paintings. It was just completely amazing. And so as my time started to free up from pencil Kings, that allowed me space to work on bringing this new business to, to light, to take this curriculum that was only taught inside a brick and mortar school to the online world so that anyone could access it. And I knew that there was a demand because when I had originally interviewed him, people were, were willing to fly from like Spain and Philippines and a couple other places to go and study with him in person. I'd never in, you know, like 150 podcast episodes, I'd never heard anything like that, that people were that convinced. And so with that space, it, it allowed me to, you know, put, keep that builder hat on and but just step away from pencil kings again we still did our meetings handle customer support all those systems were in place um so that then i could focus on 
filling this this space in the market that I knew the Pencil Kings audience was hungry for, as well as artists all over the place. And to take a lot of the lessons that I had learned from Pencil Kings kind of of what to do and what not to do in order to set this business up to be successful, but also to set the students up in a way that they would have the highest possibility of success in the program. Right. So what we're talking about right now is evolveartist.com. And one of the things I'd, I'd like to go into with you on this is when you started this site, so you're kind of, we're kind of getting into new business territory, even though it's kind of a continuum of pencil kings, but I think there's some really interesting things we can learn from your experience here. So you you have pencil kings. We we spent a lot of time talking about your journey with pencil kings. Some of the things that you ran into with yourself that became challenges, how you push through those challenges, um, learn to optimize your business. Now you're coming to start something new. One of the things I immediately noticed from going evolveartist.com is the site itself is much more. I would say basic. Uh, it seems like there was a deliberate decision to maybe not spend so much time on the design of the site, maybe as pencil kings. And maybe I'm guessing there and maybe I'm wrong, but I guess what I'm getting into is when you came to Evolve Artist, you know, how you said you were able to move quickly. What kind of things did you end up doing and you knew you needed to do? What things did you end up just like? skipping based on your experience. Okay. We don't need to do this now. How did you leverage your experience from pencil Kings to really make evolve artists get up off the ground and running as quickly as possible? I I like that question because what you see now is, is far more fleshed out than what we started with. We, if you can just close your eyes and picture this, what we started with was uh, about a 90 second video and a button that said that where you could enter your email address to register and a background picture. That was, that was it. Um, and a logo. So we had no blog or, or even we didn't even have text on the website. And so, and, and that's how we started. And it basically just took the, the, the trust and credibility that I had with the pencil Kings email list, again, you know, going back to building an asset and, and having a table with more than one leg, um, that I could then say, hey, th- this is this new thing that we've been working on. People really seem to want it. The results that the students have is incredible. Let's do this. If you want to do it, you can go here and sign up for it. And, you know, eventually we, we did have a sales page and we had emails that went out, but we basically had a one page website uh, or let's say, let's say three page website. It had the landing page where you could put your email address in. It had a thank you page that when you entered your email address in, it would just give you a, a podcast episode. Like a, an, it wasn't video or it was, it was just audio that you would get. And then it had a sales page. And what was the thinking behind these decisions on only to do these things? Because I'm guessing that there was some reason you knew why each of these was important and you deliberately chose to do them for a specific reason. Okay, we need this, we need this, we don't need that. Why did you determine that these particular things were what you needed in the beginning? I think it, was, it wasn't so much that, it was really just frustration that we had wanted to launch the site for a while and I found that the 
for me personally, the biggest business breakthroughs come out of extreme frustration where it's so frustrating. Like you have to, you have to take action um, and not like moderate action. You have to take severe action. And so this was like, well, what's the minimum amount of stuff that we need to get going? And, and this was the minimum amount. And that's great. Cause I actually do think that that's actually an advanced uh, strategy, like just get started. You're always going to evolve and uh, iterate. So don't let the iteration happen behind the scenes and keep you from actually putting stuff out and getting the appropriate feedback to know what's working and what's not. Don't be scared of just throwing something up there, no matter how simple it may seem. Exactly. And it, like a great thing that you can do if you're, if, if someone's listening and they feel stuck or paralyzed is do a Google search for original versions of famous homepages, something like that, where you can see Google's first homepage and Facebook's first homepage and Airbnbs and Twitter and all this stuff. And you're just like, wow, they, they those look terrible. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they, yeah. they all started somewhere. You have to start somewhere. And then on the, on the flip side, like I, I, I'm a a scripter, so I wouldn't say I'm a programmer, but I can kind of cobble some things together. And so on the back end, what we started with was just putting, I think we had like Airtable hooked up to Zapier, hooked up to our autoresponder system. Um, And and that was, a, yeah, that was about it. And it it was terrible. It was so much extra work and we've since have evolved from there, but um, it's just that was something that I could get up and running in basically a weekend. And then we had like this, this cool backend that nobody else had, even though it was just cobbling together existing technologies. Um, and it took a while, you know, to get all that experience, to be able to quickly do that in a weekend, um, that there was no blueprint for me to follow. It was just saying like, Oh, well, this software does this thing. This one does that. They can talk to each other. Boom. Okay. We're in business. Let's go. Right. But it could have been anything. I mean, for you, it looked like that, those particular three things, but really I think it could have been anything. And the reason that I'm kind of belaboring this point is because I know for a fact that the fact that you took what people may consider to be a risk, oh, you put up that ugly thing, like it didn't stand in the way of the growth of your business, this new business. No, definitely not. So what was the response like? Um, And how did you go from there? Yeah, the response was was amazing. It was one of the highest converting uh, sales promotions that we had ever done. And so we got our initial batch of, of students and they, they referred to themselves as the beta group of evolvers uh, that <laughs> they got in and, and they know that some things are going to be rough. Uh, but we're a about we're almost a year into it now from when we started and things have come so so far from where they are or where they were and so yeah yeah we just as soon as we made the sales we started sending out the the boxes because there's a physical component to this particular course it's it's not just watching videos you actually get materials in the mail and everything um but yeah we just started supporting the students and we were building the course as we were um, giving feedback to the students and again, some hiccups along the way, but it's like this, these hiccups are going to happen whether you try and plan for everything or not. Like you just can't avoid them. So why not just go as almost as fast as you can and, and then just deal with them as they come up and there'll always be new challenges that you never could have foreseen. So 
you know, why bother planning too much? I mean, don't be crazy, but just keep going. Yeah, exactly. And and that's some a huge lesson I've learned from the 10 years I've been in business too is, and I think we both in our original businesses, you with Pencil Kings, me with Member Mouse, you know, we both fell into that trap of trying to reach this idea of perfection, building, 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 you know, and then not really taking a step back and not necessarily, you know, we were certainly taking feedback from people, but there, I, I think for me, there was always a, a, a place that I knew I was trying to get to. And I also had that stubbornness, like I'm going to get there. Right. Um, but what I've learned from that experience is exactly what you're saying now, like the true synergy and the true uh, value of a product is something that serves both you in terms of your interest and enthusiasm and your customer. So the quicker that you can start the conversation and the more agile and responsive you can be to what people are telling you, the quicker you are going to find that sweet spot of profitability with your market. Definitely. So I'm glad to hear that, that everything's going well there. So, um, based on where you are now, you know, kind of, um, what are your, your, th- your visions looking forward with Evolve Artists and Pencil Kings and how are you going to work with both of those businesses? I think what we're really trying to do with both businesses is break new ground because it's a, I, I don't know if saturated market is the right word, but obviously like in almost every training business, there's YouTube. And so there's tons of content. There's, there's like this mountain of content that's always coming out. And so I feel like we're, we're in post information scarcity mode now where there's like too much information. And so it's like, how do you deliver the most effective information for the mo- that suits the most people? Um, and then the next challenge is how do you consistently motivate those people to take action on the content that you're putting out that's in their best interests, even though we live in this like distraction, crazy world at the moment. And I think that's it. Like that's the game. And and I feel like for almost all course creators, it's that to differentiate, differentiate yourself and get people to get the results that you are there for them to, to, to get with your, with whatever you're producing. Do you have answers to those questions? (laughs) Well, it's more like hypothesis and looking at other industries and seeing like, well, who has a lot of attention? What are they doing? Or, or how is this, how is their business model different and how are their customers different and how do their customers behave or their clients? And so it's really just a lot of noticing and, and also trying to get out into the world more. I think that, um, I'm a hardcore introvert. I always have been, and is part of why I can work so much and part of why being an artist was a good fit for me. But now the challenge is more like, well, what's happening in the world? Because having your head in the sand doesn't, it, it's not allowing me to be exposed to what's going on so that I can take ideas from other places and then bring them back and see how do they work in the framework of the businesses that I'm building and how can, uh, you know, if, if there's a particular community with a crazy, raving, engaged fan base, how how do you how do you tap into that, and can you tap into that? And sometimes it's 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 
very direct and straightforward. Uh, but other times you need to kind of mix things and, and then put it out there and see how it goes, knowing full well that it may fail. Like I've had failures and it sucks so much when you put a lot of effort into something and then you're just like, nope, total flop. But it's okay. And uh, you can always go back to the drawing board and try and reimagine it. And I think that one of the, the challenges here is that also getting paid for it because, you know, like I've put out, uh, I put out a free course at, at one point and promoted it a little bit. And it was like 750 people signed up and were super engaged and loving it. Put a $7 price tag on it, 30 and it's just like, what? And so you need to, there needs to be a value exchange that it can't just be giving things for free because it gives you a false sense of this is working. Um, but it's not a sustainable practice because again, you have to feed yourself at the end of the day so that you can continue to provide value for people. Right. But it is, there is a balance there too, because there is value in giving away free content, but you don't want to do it to the extent where you're uh, you're surpassing what is sustainable for you. Yeah, exactly. So going back to something you you said earlier, you talked about when you first started Evolve Artists, one of the first uh, groups of people that you messaged about joining it were people from Pencil Kings, people who were already familiar with you and uh, knew of you. And you said that they called themselves the beta group for of all artists. And I find this really interesting because I think it really, it can kind of like quell some of those fears that we may have for failing forward fast, right? Like, you know, putting things out there, seeing if it sticks. And I think when we do that, people who know you and people who you allow to know you more importantly, right? People who you are okay being personable with and upfront with, they will forgive you for it they'll go along with it for the ride as long as you're responsive and they know that you're attentive. Um, it's not going to be this like business destructive, like world crushing thing that we think it will be if something we put out doesn't work. And has that been, would you say that's been your experience Oh, with this process? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something that I learned along the way of that you want to set people's expectations intentionally really low. Like let's say when you're creating a promotion or a product or something, you have like uh, six different features or bonuses or something that you're going to give to the people, but you maybe only talk about two of them so that that way it gives you an out that if you're not able to deliver on six, well, people were only ever expecting two. So they're happy as long as you got two done. But if you get all six done, then You've delivered way more value and it's, it's tough because we're excited when we're creating something and we know what's possible, but you got to kind of keep your cards close to your chest because some, there's a lot of unknowns. And so um, I think, yeah, just managing those expectations is, is the big thing. And then realizing that it won't be the end of the world that, you know, Pencil Kings has undergone so many different iterations. Like I think, We've been with Member Mouse for quite a while now, but it took us, I think, two different membership softwares that couldn't serve us until we finally got onto Member Mouse and then things were good. And our uh, customer base had to go through those sometimes painful transitions. But I, I knew that, you know, the work that I do, to, and this is a saying that I always remind artists and pretty much any, anyone that I talk to is like, the work that you do tomorrow will always be better than the work that you do today. So just get the work done. 
meaning that don't, don't let anything stop you. That grand vision that you have, it'll come true, but you have to get done today's stuff so that tomorrow can be possible. And that the things that you do tomorrow usually will be better in, in than what you have going on today, because you just, you get better. You continue to, to be better at your craft. Right. And I think that that's an important um, lesson because the alternative to that is that whatever you may be concerned about keeps you from acting at all, which means you do nothing today. And then tomorrow you still, you, the, the increased pressure you're putting on yourself gets exacerbated because you now feel behind. Right. So that's one thing I've found is consistency. Whatever you do, whatever you're working toward, do something every day, be consistent at it. Do you don't have to do you don't have to overdo it in terms of what you think you need to commit to? Just do something. And yeah, like you said, what you do tomorrow will be better because you did something mm-hmm. today. You worked at it and you'll naturally improve. So I have a couple final questions for you. Um, the first one is for those listeners who, you know, there's probably different levels of business, but for those people who are near the start of their business. You know, they're they're just getting started. Maybe they have an idea or something that they're very passionate about that they'd like to share. Um, what advice would you give someone like that at this point in time? I think the absolute best thing that you can do is like always just keep making forward progress. But if you can start surrounding yourself with other people who have already done what you want to do, you're just going to make progress so much faster. And to give an example, like I know that there are some entrepreneurs that I've worked with and I, for me, the path to getting to six figures of revenue a year, which a lot of people would say like, that's, that's a milestone that you aspire to, but a lot of people never actually get there. But for me, the path there is very clear and direct. It's so easy uh, and so straightforward. And so if you can be in a room and start surrounding yourself with with the, the people who are doing that, then all of a sudden, just by listening to those conversations, and you can find these people online or maybe even offline, um, but it's just going to accelerate whenever you're unsure, you can pose the question to to some of these people and they can help you forward. Um but it's, it's going to be a dramatic shortcut. And uh, the, the challenge, though, is just finding these people, that it's not always apparent. And um, that when you find people, um, are, are they going to be the, the right fit? And I guess the last thing I'll say that there, there are groups that you can pay for to join, and some of them are good. But for me, a lot of the best value that I've ever had is just by looking at it as friendships. Like people who I like building businesses. It's like my passion and my hobby. And it's, it's, it's really fulfilling for me. And so when I find someone who like these, these magical people that I'm talking about right now, I just look at it as friendships. I try to provide value to them. Um, there's no money that ever changes hands. They're, they're friends. Like I would invite them to come and stay on my couch if they're uh, coming through my city or whatever it is, or on their birthday, I wish them happy birthday, or maybe I'll send them a, a stupid little gift on Amazon if I think of them and I know of something that's appropriate to send them. But it's really just friendships. It's not a business transaction. Right. And I know for you personally, you know, there are a couple other member mouse customers that you guys kind of created an unofficial uh, assistance group, you know, but in that situation, I believe you guys were all pretty much going on the journey together. You know, it wasn't that any one of you was ahead, uh, 
necessarily that one of you had seven figure business and the others of you were just getting started. I think you you all were pretty much going on the journey journey together, which is also valuable, right? To have people surround yourself with people who are going the same place. Yeah, because most people, when you tell them I'm starting a membership business and I'm excited about using this new platform, Member Mouse, which I just found out about last week, no one knows what you're talking about. You just started speaking alien to them. And if you can find a couple other people who are on that same journey, I mean, it's it's amazing because the learning curve just gets cut down so significantly. Yep. I think that's great advice. Um, and finally, uh, is there a place, you know, if our listeners are interested in learning more about you, uh, the things you're doing, uh, are there places that you would recommend that could check out to find out more about you? Yeah, I'd like... I mean, I am really am on a mission now these days to try and fix what I see as a broken art education system. And so I'd encourage people to go and check out evolveartist.com and see some of the stuff that we have going on there. Um, and, and as well as, you know, go and check out pencilkings.com. Those are the two places where, where I hang out online. And um, But I, Evolve, it, it really is, is something that... It, it's hard to put a, to describe it because it, it is such a broken system. But if somebody is creatively bent, uh, this really is the program that uh, I believe after, you know, spending 30 years being an artist that people have been looking for and that will, will actually deliver on the promises that it makes. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to see how things turn out with that business because you certainly have the ingredients there. You have the experience, you have the passion, you have... Um, the desire to improve something and you're responsive to feedback from the community. So although all of those are ingredients that really spell success and creation of something really valuable. So um, I'm thankful that you're actually doing it because I think it's going to help a lot of people. And um, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us today and our listeners. Thanks. And I mean, I, I also have to say thank you for bringing member mouse into this world. It, as a business owner, having software that does not give me headaches is like the the sort of the godsend to, to me so that it's it's a system that I can depend on and I don't have to lose sleep over if it's going to work or not. It just it's been there and rock solid for years and, and years now and we'll just continue continue using it. Many thanks to Mitch for joining us today on the podcast. If you'd like to hear more about Mitch and what he's up to, check out his two main projects, PencilKings.com and EvolveArtist.com. And thank you for listening to today's episode. To get the show notes, go to subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 106. If you're interested in hearing more interviews with entrepreneurs and learning their strategies for success, please subscribe to the show. In the next episode, we'll be talking with aviation instructor Chris Palmer, the founder of angleofattack.com and aviationtraining.com. In this episode, he'll share with us the importance of balancing authenticity with practicality in order to grow your business without sacrificing on personal ideals. I hope to see you there.